Andy Mineo in his song Clarity has these lyrics and they resonate with me and I think they might resonate with you. He says that for half of his adult life he's unlearning lies that he heard in a dumb sermon. And I think he's doing some really great work, right, of deconstruction and reconstruction. He's examining what he's been handed in terms of faith and belief and then what is actually true or essential or what matters the most. And that's what brings us to our series Heretics. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But a few days ago, I was up early with my son. He's in virtual kindergarten this year. He's five. Uh, we call him JJ. And I thought it'd be good to get back into the habit instead of going right to Lego Batman 2 in the morning, going into one of his children's Bibles with him. And he brought his Bible out and he said, I want to read my favorite story. And I said, great. What is your favorite Bible story? He says, Genesis 1 and 2, because I love the snake. So I don't know where I went wrong. But we've got a pro snake fan in my house in terms of the creation narrative. But we ended up reading it and I began to draw some parallels between that children's version of the creation narrative and what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Because at the center of that story, before the fault line of brokenness and sin takes root in humanity, the serpent, who most of us believe is Satan, an enemy of God, asks Eve the question, did God really say? And there's really a question behind that question, and it's this, is God who he says he is? And that's a question that we're always wrestling with when we read about scripture and then we live life, you know, in the day to day. When we hear or sing songs about the goodness of God and then we live a life that has circumstances that may not always be good or pleasing, or there's people around us who aren't always full of joy or bringing truth. We have to recognize what's happening in these stories. Now, with the series title, Like Heretics, or the topic of heresy, you might be wondering where we're going with this in the next few weeks. I want to put you a little bit at ease. All of us need a fuller, better, clearer revelation of who Jesus is. All of us probably believe things about Jesus, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit that might not be fully accurate or true. As you hear about different heresies over the next few weeks that the early church dealt with, but also that we might be dealing with today in modern times, I want you to really be honest and examine your heart. Very few of us walk into a church service sign into a Zoom life group and say, hey, you know, my name is whatever, I'm a heretic, hope that's okay, right? Most of us don't set out to become heretics, but here's the reality is that my concern for those of us who are followers of Jesus is this. It's not that we would stop believing, it's that we would believe the wrong things. There's these two terms that are going to be pretty helpful throughout this series, apostasy and heresy. Apostasy is the renouncing of belief or turning away from a belief, political, religious, or otherwise. It would be, and a person that does that would be an apostate. Uh, heresy is the believing of something that is not fully true or something that maybe others have decided with a text, with a community, that it isn't the best picture of the belief system itself. And so that's the big idea over these next few weeks, that we would be honest, allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing Scripture to teach us and to form us. And I want to say that kind of big picture idea again. 
My fear for you, wherever you're watching or connecting in from, isn't that one day you would stop believing in God. It's that one day you would believe things that aren't true about God, and then that would set the trajectory of your faith life with Him. And we probably know people, though, right, either on social media family or friends who have walked away from faith, who maybe put it on a shelf and said, I'll process that later. Maybe they've had a bad experience with other followers of Jesus or other people in a certain religious sect, and then they've kind of turned away. And I think it's really important to notice that in those stories like that, it's typically the belief that's that goes first. In other words, people don't typically abandon or jettison their beliefs. They typically will believe something inaccurate and then find that kind of in a place of contrast or tension with their experiences. And that's when they maybe begin to lead their lives differently or to place faith in a different list of priorities. Romans 12.2 says something that's going to be helpful throughout this next month. It says this, and Paul's writing to the church at Rome. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus, I pray that you would help us, help me to grapple with the text, but not just to look at the book in terms of what it says and what it instructs me to do, but to also allow you to look into my heart, into my mind. Remind me of the areas that still need the good news. Show me the areas, show us the areas that still need correction so that we can see you clearly and we can recognize your goodness no matter what's going on in life around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, over the next few weeks in this series, you'll hear from different staff members, and each week they'll be talking about a different heresy, a set of beliefs that maybe kind of speak to or kind of relate to the gospel, but are ultimately untrue. And we'll talk about it in terms of the context of the early church. Most pastoral epistles, those are the letters in the New Testament, are written to correct heresies. But then we're going to also make it real. How do we grapple with heresies, things that aren't true about God, here and now? And I just want to tell you, if you go through this entire series and you don't find any heresy that resonates with you, that you've been tempted to listen to, that maybe you've discovered or uncovered in your heart, I do have some bad news for you. If you can go through this whole series and feel like, man, I think I'm good, then you might actually be suffering from the greatest heresy in all of humanity. And it doesn't just impact Christians, and it's the one of pride. It's this place where we're unwilling to be wrong. So my hope and prayer is that we would read Scripture, but also let the Holy Spirit read us. Let Jesus speak to what we believe, what we feel, and what we think even about Him. Now, we're going to be talking right now about Gnosticism. It starts with a G, but it's, the G is silent. And the group of people are called Gnostics. And we see specific writings of the early church in the New Testament addressing some of these things. And we're going to talk about why it really matters, why what we believe impacts how we live our lives. But before we do that, I wanted to do this little test that I saw um, from another pastor, Chuck Swindoll. And I thought it was really helpful. And don't worry, I failed this test miserably when I was in college and in your shoes. So I'm not going to ask you to put it in the chat, to put it on Instagram. There's just three true or false questions. And I think the results will be a little bit surprising. They were for me when I was in college. So he says this, 
One, true or false, prayer is more important than mowing your widowed grandmother's lawn. So true or false? Two, sharing the gospel is more important than taking a meal um, to a new mother and father who are just home from the hospital with their newborn. True or false? Number three, last one, and then we won't do any more quizzes. Doing sacred work, such as preaching or being a missionary, is more important than secular work, such as accounting or being a lawyer. So we had these three true-false questions, and Chuck Swindle says that if you answer true to any of them, you've unintentionally believed in this heresy uh, called Gnosticism, that you might, even though you never use that label, might be a Gnostic. And here's what's at the heart of this set of beliefs that is somewhat true, but false. And I guess that's like the most common heresies have just enough truth or they sound just right enough that people believe them, but that there's something unhelpful or potentially harmful as you explore the beliefs even further. So let me just define Gnosticism for us in case that little true-false left you confused. Gnosticism would say, that the spiritual things in life are superior to the physical or material, and then it would focus on a divorce rather than an integrated approach, an integrated approach to faith in life. It can lead to separatism. It can lead to, I've said this before, and I, I've been a Gnostic, it's, it's this idea that we're, we're souls with a human suit, or we're souls or spirit with a human skin, right? It kind of it juxtaposes spirit and material or sacred and profane in a way that leads either to ignoring what's right in front of us or choosing to, leave, to live separately than the world around us. We see initially why the early church fathers and mothers fought against this because to them, Jesus being God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God, was foundational to the early church. And it's foundational for us. And the incarnation becomes a response to what Gnostics have believed. And in fact, many Gnostics uh, in the first century didn't fully believe that people were made in the image of God, and they didn't believe that Jesus was fully God either. Now here's the thing um, that's also common with Gnosticism, both in the early church, but then also today. Gnostics would typically believe that there was a, a mysterious or secret knowledge that was reserved for just a small group of people. Of course, they were in that group, but everybody else wasn't in that group. And it's kind of where faith seems to, even in the early church, go from being personal and communal to being private. And I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks today. I believe that He speaks through Scripture, through dreams, visions, impressions, through other people. But Gnosticism has always claimed that there was like something just a little bit further and only certain people had access to it. And it creates this us versus them dynamic. And because it's personal, it can't really be talked about, discussed, or debated. Wherein we believe that the Holy Spirit is never going to speak something to someone that's contrary to the scriptures, that's contrary to what God says in scripture and how God is revealed in scripture. So here's the thing, and I want you just to follow me on this rabbit trail just for a moment. Gnosticism, in my opinion, is why there are conservative 
theologically conservative, politically conservative, devout Christians that might be prone to believe things that aren't true outside of the realm of faith. In other words, there are people that I love and care about in my life, in my family of origin, that would probably be um, kind of in these circles. And I've been wondering lately why it is they post the things they post on Facebook. And I don't just mean who they're voting for or what party they align with, but just some of the links, some of the YouTube videos just seem to me a little out there. And granted, they probably feel that way about things that I post as well. But it's why Christians who can seem so devout maybe can begin to believe things that might be Yeah, that just might be wrong or just like, wow, you're kind of reading into that. And I have a little bit of a list here. Gnosticism is why I think Christians believe or have believed in the past that Harry Potter is no-go. Harry Potter is Satan's recruiting tool for children. Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, totally fine, but Harry Potter is bad. Or maybe they've thought that the Da Vinci Code was Hollywood's big plan to undermine Orthodox Christianity. It's these same types of beliefs such as that there's this hidden code in the Bible that only a computer could unlock and it would lead us to modern day prophecies. Or or maybe lastly, that there's this guy or person or organization named Q that we should all listen to. And I'm not really making a leap here because at the center of Gnosticism is this desire for more. But it's more of something that's secret, not more of something that is publicly a blessing. In other words, being a Pentecostal, it's the idea of I need and want more of Jesus and more of the Holy Spirit. Being a Gnostic is I want more, but it's more than what's been revealed. It's unintentionally saying that Jesus, the scriptures, and the spirit aren't enough. There has to be another level, another layer, another room where there's more information available. See, Gnostics unintentionally distort the gospel in a few ways, one of which is this. They're so focused on the good news in eternity and the spiritual, the afterlife, that they pass by hurting people that need healing right in front of them. To them, the hierarchy of needs is spiritual and then everything else is secondary. Now, I do believe that spiritual needs are of the utmost importance. But I don't think that that's separate or disconnected from the physical, emotional, and mental needs of individuals. And I would point to both the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus that show that he does care about people's souls. He does care about their spiritual realities, but he also cares about their physical ones. He cares about their relationships. He cares if they're hungry. He cares that they feel welcome and engaged into community. Jesus offers us a life that's holy. And that doesn't mean just blameless. It means it's separate. It's different. But it's also whole. It's integrated. Jesus lives his life out loud. And he does so in a way that doesn't prioritize one thing to the detriment of another. Now, here's a temptation. Anytime we talk about theology, especially if we talk about heresy, there's going to be the temptation to overcorrect to swing wide in the other direction. And that's also dangerous. It's why we believe that we can read Scripture and talk about Scripture. We believe in community. We believe in studying the history of how Christians throughout time have examined certain topics, themes, or verses. It's why we believe that, man, as a gift to believers, we have local pastors and churches that help steward us in ways that are healthy in our faith faith. 
formation. It's also why we think that you should, maybe if you read scripture alone, you should talk about it with someone else because when I personally read scripture alone, I tend to read myself in the center of the story. I tend to be the hero and then everyone else around me who I might be in conflict with occupies the other characters. But when I read scripture in community, it forces me to realize that although I'm included in the story of God, the story of God isn't about me. It's about Jesus and graciously I'm invited into that But when I read the scriptures and I assume that I'm the good guy, I've probably already made my first misstep or my first error. Well, here's the temptation and overcorrecting on this issue of Gnosticism. Because if we go the other direction, then we'd believe that physical things matter more than or are above spiritual things. We'd begin to believe that God isn't interested in intervening in our lives. We would see him as being separate and away instead of present in the here and now. We'd also become so connected to the world around us, the joys and the pains, the beautiful moments and the tragedies, that we'd forget that we're dual citizens. And in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, Scripture tells us that we're citizens of heaven first, and then earth, or whatever country we're residing in, second. A missionary friend of mine said this, and I thought it was really helpful because I, at times, might be tempted to overcorrect with this issue specifically in my own faith journey. He says, if you could go to a place in the world that needs access to clean water and education, that needs resolve or solutions to discrimination and oppression, and if you could solve all those issues, if you could bring relief in all those areas through programs, through funding, through whatever means possible, but you didn't address the spiritual themes or the spiritual undercurrent, then in fact you'd be doing those people a grave disservice. Now that's not something that's very popular to say, but I think he's absolutely right. This is another area where it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's connected. We're called to live integrated, like I mentioned earlier, a whole and holy life. Circling back to the quiz that we all took, and I would assume... If you're anything like me, you failed miserably. Maybe you got one or two of those right, or you saw where I was going. We should absolutely pray, and we should absolutely mow people's lawns. We should share the gospel with words, proclamation, but we should also bring meals to families who just got home from the hospital with a newborn. That's demonstration of the good news. We should honor the work of preachers, of missionaries, But we should also honor the work of lawyers, teachers, coders, doctors, restaurant employees, Instacart delivery drivers, and those that do rideshare apps. Here's the thing. When we focus on what we think is spiritual at the detriment of the physical or material, we might find joy for ourselves, but we'll never spread joy to those around us. When we focus on what we think is physical and ignore what we would categorize as spiritual or mysterious, we may have solutions for education, hunger, discrimination, and policies, yet we would forget that programs and projects don't actually change minds and hearts, that transformation happens a different way. So if none of this that I said today makes sense, well, then it's a little bit awkward, but I'm so glad that you're here. And I'll go, I'll be the first one to say, I often refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist, but it's probably equally true that I'm a recovering Gnostic. And I was thinking about this 
um, passage, and I wanted to read it. And it's from Genesis, the themes are from Genesis 1.31, and also 2 John 7. It's just a summary of those verses. And it's this, Scripture never says that matter is evil. Creation is presently fallen, is fallen, but fallenness is not inherent in physicality. Remember, God made everything good, Genesis 1.31, and anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh, he was incarnate like we talked about earlier, 2 John 7 says, is not a believer in the beauty and in the truth of Jesus. N.T. Wright, uh, in this book that we've been reading and discussing as a staff team, God in the Pandemic, said something that I thought was appropriate. He says that these times that we're in with coronavirus and COVID and a health pandemic and political unrest, these aren't necessarily signs for people to turn and repent or begin to think about life beyond the here and now. And he says that because he recognized what the early church Leaders recognize that Jesus was the sign, that Jesus is the sign, and that Jesus is enough of a sign. And I love that perspective because it keeps us grounded in the here and now in the physical, but it also reminds us to live with hope in the spiritual and eternal. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you um, as we continue to think through our worship response. And this is actually from the Lord's Prayer. I just want to say it before we go into our next time of singing and reflection. God, I pray that when we think about your will being done on earth, that we would not just think about what you want us individually to do with our vocation, with our hobbies, with our passions, and with our finances, but we would think collectively, how do you want believers to live so that people on earth could get a small taste of heaven. And God, we pray that you'd use us as instruments of peace and grace. That it would be at American University as it is in heaven. That it'd be at Georgetown University as it is in heaven. That it'd be wherever students are connecting in from all around the world. Would it be in that room, in that space, on that screen, in their families, in their Zoom classes? Would it be for a moment like heaven because of how you're moving in them and how you're moving through them. God, we cannot do it on our own. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.